with a question last week, and we're continuing that question today, and here it is. Who gets to heaven? Who actually gets to heaven? All right, let's hit pause a moment. There was an older man, and he walked up towards this amazing, huge, beautiful church, and there was over the, the, the front doors of that church a giant arch, and that arch read, carved in stone, it said, the gates of heaven. And the old man looked at it, and he was like, wow, I mean, who knew? It was here, the gates of heaven. And he made his way a little closer, and he got closer, and he saw a, a cardboard, a piece of cardboard taped to the door. And as he got closer, the cardboard read, please use the other entrance. Now, isn't that, isn't that the truth? I mean, we think we get it figured out, and we think that we're on the right track, and then all of a sudden we find out, wrong entrance, this isn't it. Use the other entrance. But where's that entrance, right? Where is it? Where is that entrance into heaven? Where is it? Now, we ended with a question last week as well, and the question we ended with last week was this. If God were to look at you, were to walk into this room, and look you in the eyes and say, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Now, I want to be honest with you. When I was a teenager, my pastor, every once in a while, would ask that question when he was preaching. He would ask that question. And as soon as I heard him, when I was a teenager, when I heard him ask that question, I would sit up straight in my pew I would sit up straight and I would grab an offering envelope or something or a bulletin or something and one of those little tiny golf pencils and I, I would write down the answer he was getting ready to give us. And I did that. He, he asked this two or three times and I remember every time I sat down and I wrote down the answer and here's why, because I, I wanted to get it right. I wanted to say exactly whatever the preacher was getting ready to tell me, I wanted to say those precise words because I wanted to make sure I had the right answer if God were to ever ask me, why should I let you into my heaven? I was serious about that. I wanted to know. Now what we discovered last week, we discovered a little bit about who gets into heaven. One thing I want to let you know is some of what we're teaching today and last week and over the next couple of weeks in this series, it's some things that Cole and I have learned. And we're doing our best to transmit this, to translate this, to get this to you as accurately as possible the way it was taught to us because the way it was taught to us was very moving and it sank deeply into our hearts and we said we've got to pass this on to you and that's what we're doing. We discovered last week about some things, who gets into heaven, and we were reminded of this. Most of the world, most of the world around us in Stuttgart and Arkansas, the United States, and all over the world, most of the world, including many, many Christians, believe this about who gets into heaven. They would say this, good people get into heaven. So the answer would be, 
to most of the world, they would say, well, you got to be pretty good. Pretty good people get into heaven. And that's where the title of the series comes from is this, well, is pretty good good enough? Is that good enough to get us into heaven? Now, I have actually, over parts of my life, really struggled with that question. I wonder if you maybe have as well. Because here's what I'm thinking. If good people go to heaven, then that means that what we do on this side of heaven is the key to what happens on the other side. And if that's the case, we've got some real problems here. Some real problems. Here's one of them. We don't know what good is. There's no church, no religion that agrees what good really is. They don't agree with each other. And all the religious leaders have their own ideas that are different about how good is good enough. Even they can't agree. Here's another problem. So we have this internal sense of this is good, this is bad, this is right, this is wrong. You can call it a conscience or whatever. You can say God gave that to you or whatever. You can say that was inborn into you. It's just there. It's natural. But nobody agrees on that either. Everybody has their own standard of what is good and what is bad, what is right and what is wrong. So here's the question. Which standard is God going to use? Your standard, my standard, or their standard? That's a real problem. Here's another one. God didn't tell us how this scoring system works. If good people get to heaven, God didn't tell us how the scoring, how is he going to score this? How does that actually work? And so that leads me to another problem because the scriptures tell us that God is good, and I believe that. And scriptures tell us that God is loving, I believe that as well. But if God doesn't tell us the most important thing regarding our soul and our eternity and our future, if he doesn't tell us, give us the answer to how good is good enough, is pretty good good enough? If he doesn't give us that answer, then can God be all that good after all? Can God really be all that loving after all if he doesn't tell us? Now, about this time, some of us might be thinking, but wait, wait, whoa. What about the Bible? Wait a minute. Hold your horses, Harley. What about the Bible? Didn't God give us the Bible to tell us what was right and what was wrong, what was good and what was bad, and how good is good enough? And I know there's many people that think so. So let's talk about that this morning. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Now, when I think of the Old Covenant... The Old Covenant, starting with Genesis, going all the way through to, to the, the last book of the Old Covenant. When I think of that, I think of uh, this. we got to follow the rules. we got to follow the rules. So wouldn't you say the Old Covenant then has a lot of rules for us to follow so that we can make it into heaven? Now, we're familiar with the Ten Commandments, right? That's not a foreign concept to us. There's a lot of folks may have them in their yard. Some folks have them on their businesses, the Ten Commandments. Uh, we're familiar, at least, even if we don't know the Ten Commandments, we're familiar with that phrase, the Ten Commandments. So we think, yeah, 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 that's a good one. We've got to follow the Ten Commandments if we want to make it to heaven. That's a good one. Well, well, there's a problem with that, too, because most of us can't even list all ten of the Ten Commandments, right? And we certainly don't know where to find them exactly in the Bible. We know they're in there. We just don't know where they are in the Old Covenant exactly. 
We just know they're there, and we're pretty sure that we follow them. So that sounds like maybe a good starting place. Yeah, we got the Ten Commandments. Maybe God gave us the Ten Commandments so that that could be the gauge of if we are good enough. If where's the pretty good line? Is pretty good good enough? And we can maybe use the Ten Commandments to help. Surely, surely we can keep ten rules. If that's all there is in the universe, surely we can keep ten rules. Or can we? I mean, if we can't even list them, how can we keep them? I mean, to me, that sounds like a problem. Well, and here's the other problem with that. Yes, there are Ten Commandments, but the Ten Commandments, that's not all there are. The Ten Commandments are just kind of like a snapshot, like a little thumbnail, just a little piece of the law. In fact, there are more laws that God gave, more than the Ten Commandments. And every single one that he gave in the Old Covenant is just as valid as any one of the Ten Commandments. They are all valid. Do you know how many there are? There's actually 613 commands, laws that God gave. 613. So try to list all of those and follow them. So now how are we doing? Are we pretty good according to that? I don't know. So if we think that God gave us the law as kind of our standard that we need to keep here on this earth, and if we keep enough of them, we can make it to heaven. If we keep that law, enough of those will be good enough. Well, here's the next problem. No one has done it yet. <laughs> That's a real problem. Nobody has done it yet. If keeping the old covenant law is the standard, then we have a huge problem. So let's take just a moment and look at us and the law. We find very quickly that the Bible's standard, when we look at the old covenant law, it is too high. And we there's a good reason why no one ever has ever kept it except Jesus. No one. There's a reason. Because it is too high. <laughs> That's why. And besides, within the law, do you realize this? Every time we break one of the old covenant laws, do you know what we would have to do? Every time we break one, every time we break one, we would have to sacrifice a, a bull, a cow, a pigeon, a, a, a lamb. We would have to sacrifice one to be right with God. And actually, that's impossible for us to do because to sacrifice one would require a priest and would require the temple in Jerusalem, and neither one exists any longer. They're gone. They don't exist anymore. Here's a huge truth. God didn't expect even Israel to keep the law perfectly. He didn't. That's why God created this detailed, very detailed system of sacrifices for them. Because he knew, he knew they wouldn't keep it. He didn't expect that they would keep it, and that's why he provided that. This whole law thing in the Old Covenant, this whole law thing that you find in the first five books of the Old Covenant, this whole law thing is a complicated system, very detailed and very specific system of laws and sacrifices. 
And we don't, today, we don't have the time, nor do we have the facilities to do everything that is necessary if we choose to approach God with the old covenant laws. It is actually impossible. It's not just unlikely, it is impossible. Here's another big truth. God never gave us the old covenant laws as a means, as a way to get to heaven. So, if the law was not for getting to heaven, what was it for? Well, the law did two things. The first thing the law did is it gave structure, it gave order, it gave a government to a very new nation who was coming out of slavery. They were coming out of slavery and into freedom. And the law gave them a government. They had none. It gave them a way to do life. They had none. But here's the second thing that the law did. The second thing, as intended by God, is a mirror. And it shows us the sin that already exists inside of our lives, inside of our hearts. It's a mirror. It shows us what's already there. You see, we didn't become sinful because the law. The law just simply showed us what already existed inside our lives. Here's how the Apostle Paul writes this to the Christian, the Christ followers who were in Rome in the first century. And this is what he said to them in Romans chapter 7, verse 7. He said, in fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. In other words, he said, listen, it was already, my sin was already in me. It was already there. It just simply showed me the law was a mirror and showed me what was already in my life. That's what Paul is explaining in that passage. Now, this is true. Let's look at the law and us again. All right? Well, actually, wait. Let's start with this. Let's just start with maybe some city laws and some state laws, okay? City laws, state laws, city ordinances, state laws. Let's think about that for a minute. Here's the simple thought about that. We break those laws, you know, the speed limit here on Park Avenue. <laughs> we break those laws when we want to. Simple as that. I mean, that's the way we view those laws. We just break them when we want to break them. Now, did those laws, that speed limit law on Park Avenue that says don't go faster than, what is it? I don't even know what it is. Yeah, 40? It's 40, isn't it? Yeah. Um, when I go 45 miles an hour, as I did on my way here this morning, sometimes 48, I think. I slowed back down to 45, but still, that's above 40. When I did that, um, is it that speed limit? that made me sinful? Uh-uh. The speed limit just showed the rebellion that was already inside of me when I went 45 anyway. And that's what the law does for us. The law doesn't make us sinful. The law just is a reflection. It shows us, it gives us a mirror of the sin that is already in our lives. Now, this is we need to understand this. God's law in the Old Covenant was never meant to save us. Never. 
It was never intended or meant. It's not like a sub-plan, plan A, B, C, D, E, F down there. No, it was never meant to save us. It was always meant to act as a mirror and show us the sin that already existed inside of us, that sin and that rebellion. I've got it in me, you've got it in you, and God's law is a mirror showing us that it exists, that it's there. This is true. Now, even though we might think differently, this is true. This is a fact. The Bible doesn't offer us a system for getting into heaven by being good. The Bible doesn't give us that. So to answer the question from last week and the question from this week, the Bible is no help at all. It does not give us a system to make it into heaven by being a good person. In fact, the law and the old covenant never promised anything regarding your afterlife. Nothing. So it didn't promise heaven if you would keep the old covenant law, and it didn't promise you a place in hell if you broke the law. Now, yes, there were earthly consequences. Yes, we see those in the old covenant. But nothing about heaven, nothing about hell related to God's law in the old covenant. If you don't believe me, just go read through Exodus. Go read through those first five books um, where the, most of the laws covered in, in uh, Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Go read those. You, you'll see it never really says anything about the law and your afterlife. So let's move to the new covenant then. Now, unlike the old covenant, which seems to ignore heaven and hell altogether, related to the law, the new covenant is full of verses about heaven and hell. But again, if we look at the new covenant, it is no help at all at finding a standard by which we can measure ourselves to how good we have to be in order to get into heaven. It's no help. In fact, it seems to say that we are hopeless to meet any kind of standard at all is what the new covenant says. Let me just give you a sample of just some of the verses. I'm just going to read through these really quick. McKinley will have them on the screen for you. Romans 3.23. Everyone, everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. All of us, we miss it. Romans 3.10, as the scriptures say, no one is righteous. That means no one's good, not even one. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin, and we've all read that we've already all sinned, the wages of that is death. That means no hope, we're out. Romans 3.20, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Does that get not get any more clear than what it is right there? No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. So that's just a sample. There are more. The new covenant comes right out and says what the old covenant doesn't address. And the new covenant says this, no one, not a single person will ever make it into heaven by being good. Now, if that doesn't sink home, listen to this next thing. Jesus even said when he was walking the earth here in the first century to those who were gathered around him, 
he said, the best among you are not even good enough. Not even the best. And you know who the best were in the first century? It was this elite group of people called the Pharisees. They were literally professional law keepers. That was their job. It really was. Their job was to keep the law as humanly possible and then to teach other people how to keep it. They were so paranoid about breaking any of the 613 laws, which they all broke, by the way, but they were so paranoid about it that they actually added some of their own laws to those 613 laws. And they came up with volume after volume after volume of other laws that you had to follow so that you could not break the 613 laws. Let me give you an example. So they would say that, you could not, uh, uh, so the law says, one of the 613 laws says, do not plow on the Sabbath. Do not plow your fields on the Sabbath. So they came along, the Pharisees, some of them, and they created a law that said, you, if you're outside, you cannot take your chair Okay, you can't take your chair or your table and drag it across the ground to move it to another spot. You cannot drag your chair or your table to another spot if you're outside. Do you know why? Because if that chair leg or that table leg were to put a little crease in the dust as you drug it, which it would, right? There'd be a little drag mark. They said you would have broken the ground Therefore, you plowed with that chair or that table. They took it to the extreme. They were so serious. They added law after law after law that they had to follow so they wouldn't break any of the 613 of God's laws. They added their own. They were serious. They followed the law. They also broke the law. <laughs> but they taught others how to follow the law as well. And those people, the Pharisees and the religious teachers, were the best of the best. You want to know who good people were? Well, you would just ask them. They would say, we're the good people. We are the good people. And do you know what Jesus said about the best of the best? I'm going to read it for you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. It's going to be all over the screen real big. Here we go. He, Jesus said, but I warn you, unless your righteousness is better, better than the religious uh, the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus says to them, as good as the Pharisees think they are, they're not even close to being good enough. And now if they were not good enough, these professional law keepers, what does that mean for us? If they were not good enough, these professional good people, then what hope is there for us? What hope is there for me? What hope is there for you? And just when we thought it couldn't get any worse, Jesus made it worse. He helped us understand the standard of God's law 
and he made it very, very clear. And he made it completely unreachable. He said it's not just about actually physically with your hands doing something. If you think about it, he said, you broke the law. Let me give you a couple of examples. Jesus said, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. Yeah, that's one of the 613 laws, right? There you go. But Jesus said, but I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And there, there goes like 50 to 75% of the earth's population right there. Out, out, eternal lawbreakers. At least all the men. In one fell swoop. There we go. Jesus goes on and says this. You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. Right? If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. Right? That's one of the laws. Jesus said, wait, but you're getting it wrong. He said, but I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. In other words, you broke the law. If you call someone an idiot, oh my goodness, I, I think I call two or three people an idiot when I'm driving every single day. He said, if you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of, of being brought before the court. In other words, you have already broken the law. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. In other words, Jesus said, you thought the standard was just don't go stab them. No. If you're angry with them, if you say things like that, you've already committed murder. So there's the rest of the world. We are all out. We are all lawbreakers. That's it. Jesus made the, the standard actually impossible for us. So if we're looking for a God, if we're looking for a God who lets good people into heaven, we better run away from the Bible. We better ignore the Bible because we won't find a God who lets good people into heaven anywhere in the Bible. Not only that, but look what else Jesus said. Not only do good people not get into heaven, but Jesus actually said bad people do. What? What? So here we have Jesus, who is God, came here as God, and put on the flesh and blood of man. Jesus, who's God? So he is sinless. And now we have Jesus who is hanging on a cross. And he is just about dead. And on each side of him there is a criminal. And these were some bad men. Listen to this transpire. Hey McKinley, instead of putting this on the screen, I'm just going to read this. Y'all listen to this. I'm going to read it to you. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So one of them said this. So, you're the Messiah, are you? Well, prove it. Prove it by saving yourself and saving us too while you're at it. But the other criminal tested. He says, don't you fear God even when... You have been sentenced to die? And here's what he says to the other criminal. He says, we deserve to die for our crimes. In other words, he's saying, hey, listen, yeah, we're bad. We are bad men. We, too, deserve to be executed. We are really, really, really bad. And then he goes on and he says this, but this man, this Remember me 
when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looks at him, this bad, really bad man who deserved to die. He looked him in the eyes and Jesus says this, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now listen, that criminal had no time to do a few extra good things to maybe try to earn his way into heaven. He had no time. His, he was bad. He had no time to put some things in the good side to get the scales tipped in his favor. He had no time left. There was no time for him to try to be good enough. And Jesus said to that bad man, you, bad man, you're in. I'll see you there in a few minutes. You're in. So, According to Jesus and the new covenant, not only do good people not get in, but bad people do. So if we're going to embrace this idea that good people go to heaven, we cannot embrace the teachings or the person of Jesus Christ. Now if you think I've misrepresented Jesus or the new covenant in any way, I, I challenge you this week, go look for yourself. I want to say this. We said it last week, and I've got to say it again. This is a tough week for teachers. As we're trying to teach you the truth out of God's Word, this is a tough week, and here's why. Because me right here and Cole a couple hours away over in Malvern, this is tough. Because for today and last week, so for the past two weeks, all we have done is confirm what the kid's song has said. And we talked about last week that here are some ways that you can't get into heaven. Here are some ways that are impossible to get into heaven. They will do you no good to get into heaven. We can't be good enough. And we can't just follow God's law to get into heaven. Both are impossible. We cannot get into heaven by being pretty good because we will never ever be good enough according to Jesus. We cannot get into heaven by following God's law, the Ten Commandments or any of the 613 commandments. We can't follow those and get into heaven. We will never meet the standard. Now, Here's what I asked you to do last week. Last week as we ended and I'm ending right now Last week, we asked you to ask yourself this question. If God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? We ask you to come up with an answer. What would you say to God? All right? Now, we're going to add to that this week. We're not going to answer the question. This, that's why this is so difficult as a teacher. I want to answer that question for you. I'm not going to answer it today. Here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to read just one chapter out of the New Covenant, and I want to see if inside that chapter you can find yourself anywhere in there. Here's the chapter. Will you read Romans chapter 7 this week? Romans chapter 7. And I want you to be honest with God as you read it. And I want you to, answer, to see, do you find yourself 
in Romans chapter 7, anywhere in that chapter. And I want you to have a conversation with God this week about that. If you do or if you do not find yourself in that chapter, will you talk to God about it this week? And then come back next week as we are going to begin the process of climbing out of this seemingly hopeless pit of is pretty good, good enough. Because we have to climb out, and we will. We have to climb out. Because apparently, according to Jesus, the answer of is pretty good, good enough, the answer is no way. Let's pray. Jesus, you clearly said that unless we are better than the Pharisees, we will not enter heaven. And I already know, Jesus, I I have not lived as good as the Pharisees. I know this. So if they were not good enough, there is no way that I'm good enough to get into heaven. Jesus, I ask this in your name. May we not allow something to keep us away next week as we begin to find the truth about who you will actually allow into heaven. Give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we have heard this morning. And Jesus, give us the courage to do it. Amen.